All right, our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and then chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. You can find it on the inside of your worship bulletin if you'd like to follow along. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church, and um, I appreciate the um, attitude today. Um, it reminds me of my own mother who had lots of hats and wore them to church. Um, when I went home to preach for Black History Month at my home church, Mount Zion AME Church, a couple of weeks ago, um, there was a woman there um, who was part, was one of the representatives of the hat ladies of Charleston. And my mom was part of this group. And one of the things that was real interesting about the hat ladies of Charleston um, was it definitely represented and pointed to something um, spiritual and dignifying. And I'm not going to go back and explain what's so beautifully been ex was explained by Miss Diane. But um, it, it's interesting how together women of different races, the Hat Club was an incredibly diverse group of white women and black women in a very segregated church, I mean, very segregated, historically segregated city like Charleston, coming together and wearing their hats as a solidarity, right? In solidarity of what God was doing in the lives of women and how these women worked together to change things in that city. 
So it's very special to my heart to see these hats this morning, to see my own wife pick out a hat. I don't know if that's my mom's hat or not, but my mom gave her a lot of hats. And when she passed away 10 years ago, she gave those hats out to her, not her son, she only had boys, um, but to her daughter-in-laws. And so it's, it's very special. It means something, y'all, especially when we consider the vision of Christ Central Church, as Pastor Amari said, about growing in diverse community. This is about um, godly femininity, godly um, um, reconciliation going on. And so let us use it. Let us look to it as a symbol of something only the gospel can do and prolong and keep going. In the lives of African-American women who went through so much, and now together at Christ Central, the lives of women who go through so much. So I praise God for what, what, what this means and urge you to look at some of the stuff that she has for you to read. And for you women, please go afterwards and eat. Kids, don't go out there and eat up the food. Let, let mom have her time and enjoy, and, and, um, and enjoy herself. So dads and brothers and uncles of the congregation, I'm not talking about blood related only, help the women have a good time, okay, at the thing, all right? Um, so we continue in our sermon series. Um, just so you know, I, I need to say one more thing before I get into this. Um, my aunt, who I affectionately called Annie, um, was probably only second to my mother um, as far as a woman who cared for me, who loved me. Um, and after my mom passed away 10 years ago, she was what my mom and grandmother represented. Um, she passed away this week at 80, and so I am going to do her funeral, and that's going to be on Monday, March 4th. And um, is that 4th or 5th? Okay, sorry, can't think of it right now. But um, I won't be here next week, um, so Pastor Amari or Pastor Tom or one of them is going to preach for you next week. So I'll be uh, doing the eulogy sermon for that funeral. Um, she was very special to me, and um, nobody could cook like my Annie, nobody. And so, and uh, just the lessons I learned from her, um, and just the way she impacted people's lives. She was a French teacher for most of her life, and um, so, miss her a lot. So I'll be gone next week for that reason. So continue to pray for me and my family. I don't handle, like, you know, sorrow and stuff, like I don't cry right away and all, so... But when I get to that funeral, it's going to be hard. So um, I look forward to being with my family and mourning together and celebrating her life together. Amen. Amen. So we continue in our sermon series on the mission of Christ Central Church, a freeing people to enjoy God. Here is truth. Grow in diverse community and then engage the world with the renewed dignity that comes from Christ. I want you to recognize that these different part, the different parts of this mission statement that's on the front of your bulletin, they weave in and out with each other. And so it's almost like at Christ Central, this is the means and, and way that we do discipleship. That mission statement is hopefully what is going on in your life. And you can't have one without the other. You need all of them for, for growing and mature Christianity, for growing and mature relationship with the Lord. And for two weeks, um, we have been focusing on the part of the mission about hearing his truth. Last week, we looked at the importance, an important place, rather, of Scripture, the Bible, and hearing his truth. And the week before that, we learned that God's truth is all around us. But we fail to make good on it without his grace. This week, we will look at what it means for us to be illuminated. Having our spiritual eyes and hearts open to and by the word of God, the message of the gospel. And in other words, it is the mission of this church, if you're a part of Christ Central, if you're hanging out with Christ Central, that like what is taught here by these verses today, that we live and live to become gospel illuminati. And no, I'm not talking about the Jay-Z, Beyonce, dollar bill, pyramid group, all that extra stuff. 
but I mean gospel illuminati as in the very public but mysterious way God has chosen to reveal and share the hidden power of his truth of his word in this Bible with regular people like you and me. There are three things I want us to see from these verses about what it means to hear God's truth as gospel illuminati. First, we must recognize uh, that the message of the gospel is underestimated by the world. And secondly, it is spiritual. And finally, it is powerful. Underestimated, spiritual, and powerful. Let me read back through verses 1 through 9. And what I'm going to do, instead of saying, go to chapter 1 and chapter 2, there's only, uh, chapter 1 is only verses 16 through uh, 25, and so when I say a verse, there's only one verse per chapter. So I'll say that chapter. You, you get it. Okay. Look at, chap look at verse 1, which is in chapter 2. It says here, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to, proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. It says here, For I decided in, to know nothing among you except Christ, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It says here, Yet among the mature we do not impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of the age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this, this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it, as it is written... What no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. If you go back to chapter 1 as well, the Bible admits something about itself. That the message of the gospel revealed in the scriptures and preached about comes off weak. And in verse 23, it comes off foolish when you compare it to some of the smart dudes of the day, right? The best-selling authors of the day, the most prolific artists and the most incredible athletes, the people verse 20 refers to as wise, the scribes, the debater, what the celebrities of the day are saying and showing and, and the way their theories and philosophies of, of what seem to make them great and succeed in worldly ways. And add to that that the apostle declares that he and the Bible can't and won't skip over or wax over the fact that at the gospel message's center, central and climactic to its truth, is Jesus. And Jesus, not the Jesus that only, not, not only the one who rose triumphant, but he says this and he makes a point of making it, but the Jesus that also was crucified. The message, y'all, that we are saved. The whole world and everything and anything in it from its beginning to end, that this whole thing is about God saving unworthy sinners in this world and that we are so broken, he must save us, is at face value a worldly failure if Jesus is the point and power of the whole biblical argument. That people would follow and believe this in the minds of others is a mystery. The gospel messages power and worth and good sense to make light out of it. Paul is saying in this passage, it is just hidden to most of those who think about it. Just looking at the message of the gospel. And I know it's hard for you who are believers in here because you're like, I'm on the other side. It is wise. Everything else is foolishness. But he's reminding us that just looking at the message of the gospel of the Bible at face value, it makes you, along with most of people, want to say, sorry, Apostle Paul, it's foolishness. It's, it's a silly message. We don't get it, so we can't get with it. You just don't see it, Paul. 
and we just won't hear it. You're a pretty smart, PhD, and all of this Word of God, gospel stuff argument, according to all that goes into good education and philosophy and math and science, it's just weak. And many, if not most, of the world's movers and shakers and big money and big balling and big time, raise up leaders and thinkers don't roll like this. You've heard me mention it more than once. But media mogul and billionaire Ted Turner said without apology that Christianity is a religion, a faith, a message, and a belief for weaklings. And Paul, the Bible, ironically agrees. Yeah. To those outside of it, in this worldly environment, it is crazy. It is foolish. Foolish meaning it is gibberish, y'all. It don't come together weakness. The gospel is therefore easy to underestimate. Not because of only, not, not only because of its weak message, but also because of its weak marketing. When you read these passages, it is clear that what was a startup religion or startup company in Roman Greco and Jewish, in this Roman Greco and Jewish world, needed some marketing help. And let me add, it still does. Because the message does not have much selling power. Look with me at verses 21 through 23. And of course, that would be in chapter 1. He says here, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand a sign, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Now hear this, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. The Greeks were the smart ones of the day. They ran to universities and colleges of thought. They were all logical and empirical and rich and even sought to make spiritual things be logical. And then on the other side, you had the Jews who wanted some religious spiritual results. Their chair at the rally would be, what do we want? Liberation and power and confirmable miracles. When? We want it now. <laughs> right? And the Christian message, the gospel, the word of God is not appealing to either extreme. And therefore, not many people in between. Some of y'all, especially going through hardships right in here, are trying to see what is called real change in the world kind of faith. Like the Jews, we want some results from God. Remember a line from Malcolm X when he says to the preacher as church is letting out, y'all been praying all day and preaching and come out here, no change. Which led many African-Americans out of churches, into the nation of Islam. I also watched this documentary on the Black Panther movement about how African Americans take strong action against mistreatment. We want action. We want change now. Please don't open that Bible up. Come on. Christ crucified. Come on, man. Pick up your cross and follow. Man, pick up a gun and follow, right? That's what the Panthers were saying. can understand. Like the Jews Paul talked about there. Here, with the message of the gospel, there's no outward signs that the ordinary person can see and comprehend. That what you're believing and reading and hearing is truth is only truth if it has clear signs that are true. What signs? The ones, let me tell you what signs are about. These signs are the ones people in the world demand of God, right? God, if you're God and your word is true, you got to take this test and get through this gauntlet of what we think needs you to do in order for this word to be true. So we give God the standardized God wisdom test. Is it wise? Well, let me write a test for God and your word and you Christians and see whether you can pass it. And Paul is saying, guess what? We going to get an F for foolish. <laughs> We're not going to pass. Go ahead. If they say, we want results now, you're going to fail. Because the test is made according to human wisdom and not the wisdom of God. I'm sorry, I wish it worked. And I know, man, I'm a Presbyterian. I'm trying to be all sophisticated too. And philosophically, I want to make sense. But at some point in the conversation, here it comes, Jesus and him crucified. Oh, man, you were smart until you got there. You had me. 
You even tried to trick me and put Jesus at the end after all your philosophical stuff. You watched all the movies. You read all the books. You understand all the government. Y'all some smart people. Then you bring Jesus in. Oh, man. And here's what's hard, right, for the Jews as well as the Greeks to accept back then. And, and even now, the message of the Bible is more than a new method. This is what's hard. That can be put into place through sensible means. Sensible meaning makes sense according to what I got up here, right? The, the, the apostle is saying that the gospel is not for sale. It is not purchable, purchasable commodity. It cannot be Rosetta stoned, y'all. It cannot just be learned or earned. It cannot be an add-on item, right? It is not a prime purchase where you control when and how you get what God has said. In fact, verse 7 says that the message of the gospel, the Bible, and its value to you is at first hidden. It's a secret. It's a mystery. It is not anything like the ABC of success of being better or betting yourself or your world or being empowered to be powerful. It doesn't fit into what the world values and what the world is looking for. Self-help philosophy, stuff of our world, hasn't changed since the time of the Greeks here. The world is all about being powerful, right? When, you, you know how it goes. There's this new, well, it's not a new gospel. It's been the, the old fake gospel for a long time, right? You go to these, the, the, you read this book by this person, and they're standing on the front like this or something, you know. They, they, they're all powerful and all this. But let me tell you what the philosophy's all about. It is so opposite of what the Bible's about. And let me tell you what's happened. Bible teachers and churches have gone ahead and given up. This is about self-power, right? So let me tell you what the self-power philosophy of the world, it hasn't changed. The world is about being powerful, self-defining, and life-changing individuals who can get just enough to control their destinies and get done what they want to get done and being smarter and more in control than you were. Man, guys, I want this to be popular. But the gospel is about you and what you want in and of your own thinking being a big part of the problem. <laughs> you being powerful, in control of your destiny, doing your own thing, your own way, the gospel message says that's part of the problem. And the gospel is working to flip that, to fix that. The gospel's opposite to even a religious world. Now, let me tell you how a religious world works. Hear me carefully. God's going to bless your ideas. What? I thought God gives the ideas, and that's what makes it blessed. So y'all get your ideas, your philosophies together, and then you pray. Right? That's not what the gospel is. The gospel doesn't give you a new idea. It gives you a new heart and mind. Okay? I wish it was different, y'all. Oh, I want it to be different for me. I got some great ideas if God would just come and listen. <laughs> right? God bless your ideas. God bless your destiny. Get God on board. God, I'm going to make my kids the smartest and the greatest, and then I'm going to pray you bless them. What is that? What if God wants your kid to be poor? I mean, it's a reality if Jesus, he never did nothing wrong, right? He was poor and went to the cross. What if that is God's destiny? I pray, Lord, you know, and that means they're going to be one. Please, Lord, what, don't make my kids like a missionary to some poor country or something, Lord. Please, right? Let them finish college. Why? What if God wants to take them now to spread the gospel? No. It's not the, it's foolish, God, that your kids would go through high school and not get a college degree. No black kids should be thinking that. Ain't got nothing else. Better get a degree. Right? But, but what happens if God gives us a good idea? You know what the world's going to say? Fools. You listen to the word and it made you a fool for Christ? What? What if the world's saying, you got to get married, you know? Singleness is like some bad thing. What if the God, God is calling you to be who you are so you have freedom to serve him? 
Oh, no, that can't be right. It can't be, God, please, oh, I pray, give me a husband, give me a wife. What if God wants to speak to you something different? You see, the gospel doesn't give us these worldly philosophies and puts one thing in front of the other in the same way we do. That's why it's called foolishness. And when you hear me say those things and you go tell your friends, they're like, don't go back to that church. (laughs) You go to college, man. You get you a man. You get you a woman. You don't need to be like this. This ain't fair. God ain't fair. That gospel he's preaching, that ain't fair. That ain't right. That's the thinking we're talking about. The goal of religion sometimes is to get the God thing to work for you. Harness the power and wisdom and good morals. But God is giving, this is, here's the thing, but the gospel refuses to let that happen by making you swallow the crucified Jesus is Lord thing along with all his good moral teachings. The mo- mo- for most of the world, having Jesus as a good gospel teacher and moral sage, and you know, I've been reading up a little bit on these other folk, the Buddha and Confucius, man, these dudes were kind of smart in their Eastern way, Right? They were smart. Man, Jesus would be just as incredible as those two guys. If he wouldn't have been crucified, rose again, and then declared he's Lord. Why? Why? You see, the world wants to just shoplift what Jesus is saying and make him a good moral teacher. That the Bible is just, you know, we can put this in a fortune cookie. This ain't no fortune cookie, man. The Bible's not a bunch of fortune cookie sayings. And I'm not against putting little magnets up on the thing. But sometimes we treat it like we put our favorite verse up on the, t- on, the, on the refrigerator. And it's like a fortune cookie verse, right? Blah, 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 All right. Yeah, I did it. No, man. Because what we've done is we shoplift. We, we, we steal. We take away from the context of the gospel these verses. And Jesus simply becomes Confucius. Confucius say, Jesus say. But that ain't what it is. The Bible says he's a living word of God. And then on top of that, as Paul Paul explains here, (laughs) the the ministry of the gospel, it makes you weak in your worldly wants and desires. It weakens your personal drive for anything outside of the hidden to the world agenda of God, which is so opposed to what the world accepts and uses as a checklist of acceptance and glory and greatness and power and independence. That's why Paul says this in verses 1 through 5. Look with me, beginning at chapter 2. He says, when when I came to you, brothers, I did not come come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ. That's good right there, Paul. Stop, stop, no, and him crucified. Man. And I was with you in weakness and in fear, in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In other words, Paul is saying, I didn't come in with the swag. Right? The swag y'all in the world look for as a sign of greatness, as a sign of that man speaking the truth. Look how he is, man. Woo, he rolling. You can tell. He's got an entourage. No, Paul is just thrown in prison, shipwrecked, ain't got no money, got to beg people for a place to stay. I mean, he says, I can't, because he's saying the preaching and sharing and shaping of the gospel is not about being able to flow with the best of them. Right? The message of the gospel is about trading in and having your swag conquered. And the world market for swagless, weakened by the, by the gospel in your worldly drivenness to most people around you is not attractive. It's hard. It's just hard to see why this is good for anyone or for this world. Take my swag away. Lord, my people march so I could have swag, right? And now I got to come with weakness and much fear. I'm tired of being afraid. If you're a woman, you're tired of that. You want some swag too? You're tired. It's 
especially, right? Like I'm saying, if you're from a world and represented people dealing with being crushed. So you hear this gospel about being weak and fearful and trembling. And, and he said, not, not, <laughs> he said, I didn't come to you what, with lofty speech. The, 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 the older version says eloquent speech. Let me tell you something. As a child of, civil, of the civil rights generation of my parents, you better be able to speak right. If you show up, we used to have speech competitions in the AME church. You need to know how to speak. You need to come off like you know something. Okay? Paul, and, and, and back then they had speech competitions. The orators who could do it the best and all of them, Socrates and all, you know, all that Greek method stuff. Like they, whoever could have the, 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 who could flow, that y'all understand that, who could flow the best. It was like they would have like eight mile competitions, right? And just pass the mic. Whoever flowed the best won the competition. And they would say, that one right. He's true. Y'all heard how he talked? What? My man was slamming it, man. Paul says, I can't slam, I can't flow. I can't rhyme, I can't rap. I'm no good with the microphone, right? My name is Paul. Christ crucified, right? Nobody in a, no Jew who's struggling to be something and come up in society wants the leader of the thing to be with no flow, no swag. Why should we hear and trust this, y'all? Moving on. God's truth, the gospel. How can we hear this? How have so many, many of you in here, we talked, Billy Graham died this week, all them people he led to the Lord. How have so many embraced and believed what is easily underestimated? Because on face value, run, y'all. Don't take this. Go to them, you know, self-help folk. You might be powerful, rich, and well put together. The gospel is not promising that. Let me just take a quick break and say this. I'm sorry for the prosperity lie. I'm sorry for the lie of the American dream. I'm even further sorry in my position that the church has adopted a prosperity gospel. So much so that when you hear the real word of God, the gospel, it seems opposed to good sense. God didn't promise you would be prosperous. He didn't promise you would be able to pay all your bills. He didn't promise you that the yellow form wouldn't come in the mail. He is asking his church to care for those who the yellow bill comes to. He didn't promise you two cars. Right? He didn't promise you that that dream you had was his dream for your life. It's the gospel. Look, y'all, I'm always trying to get the dream. I'm trying to get ahead. I'm telling you the truth. But that may not be God's plan. And we've made the gospel something else. And this is what the Greeks and the Jews represented. The prosperity gospel religiously, right, and then marketly of the world. And Christianity is saying, hey, let's find a way to make this, make this the thing Christianity is about. And y'all, as much as I'll try... I will try my best to not make it about that. So if you're looking for a good prosperity thing and you can grow and do your thing, this is not the church for you, I hope, right? That you would come here thinking that I'm promising a prosperity that God doesn't promise in the way you're looking for it. But let's look at verse 10 through 16. It says this. He says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. 
The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, but they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be, is to be judged by no one. For who, who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct, instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Man, there's a lot of spirit, spirit, spirit stuff there, right? Well, you can see why the Apostle Paul, the writer of this letter, used words like hidden and mysterious and even implausible and, and misunderstood to describe what happens when people hear the message of the Word of God. This thing is more than a rhetorical debate or theory to be tested and weighed by the markets or the minds. This thing is spiritual. The gospel, God's truth about, is about spiritual happenings and a spiritual communication. What these verses are saying is that the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, gives and gets the supernatural stuff out of the mind of God. And he breathes it into the folks who wrote it and is also responsible for taking that word and doing and communicating supernatural stuff in the hearts and minds of people above what they could ever see or think or feel or imagine or accept without the Holy Spirit working through the word of God in their minds and hearts. No, it isn't quite Harry Potter. Well, you use a Harry Potter spell, right? But close. Because <laughs> you must use the words of the gospel, the words of the Bible, to proclaim and explain and contextualize what God is saying. That, that is a requirement. And then something happens, the apostle was saying. God the Holy Spirit, invisibly, right? takes the faithful giving and proclaiming and preaching and teaching and sharing of his word, and those words become spiritual, supernatural, not spells, but spirits, the spirit's work, the work of the spirit in our souls and in the world. There's an awesome, awesome documentary on Amazon about how scotch is made. What's the Islay Islands? Islay or Islay? Anybody know? Okay, anyway. And they go to the distilleries in Scotland. And I was just listening to it, and it said, the distillery is how they get what they appropriately call the spirits out of the grain and then into the water to make whiskey, right? And they're called spirits, y'all guessed, because it is the substance, the refined stuff that give whiskey and beer and other things. It's, how can I say it? It's effectiveness. These spirits are drawn from what is in and of themselves not spirited. They showed the ingredients, right? They went and showed the peat, that dirt stuff, right? And then they showed the grain. You're like, what is going on? How that's going to be $100 worth of scotch? Like, it's just dirt. It's just grain. And we have the best, finest water. Okay, water. Water, barley, and peat, dirt mash stuff. This passage sings the Holy Spirit of God gets the spirits of God, right? The, the, the supernatural working of God out of the word. He spiritually distills them for God's purposes. The importance of the grain and raw materials of illumination, which are the Bible and its words, and the, and the person who isn't very spectacular giving it and saying it and explaining it, and then this historical work of Jesus on, on earth, it's like the germ, right, of faith. It's the, it's the peat, it's the dirt, it's the, it's the stuff of the faith. But without that grain being malted and dried and distilled, the spirits, the, the power does not come out. But lo and behold, out of this ordinary, simple, underestimated stuff, right? Below market goods, spiritual happenings come out of it. From the Bible and preaching and teaching and sharing and reading of the word, the ministry of the word comes something that can change and affect human thinking and acting and the whole world with it. But we ain't talking about whiskey or beer, y'all. We're talking about illumination. We're talking about the, the Holy Spirit, Spirit bringing revelatory, life-changing power to and from the Word of God in the distillery and barrels of our souls. 
Look with me at verse 12 through 16. Which one? Okay. It says here. Now we have not received, we have not received, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one for who has understood of mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. But now we have the mind of Christ. Now look, verse, look at verse 24 and 25. It says here, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, remember the people who completely discredited it. Right? The Jews wanted a sign, they ain't getting it. The Greek wanted wisdom, they ain't getting it. So they're saying we don't get the gospel. But look at what verse 24 says. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God was wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Do you see the flip that happened here? At one point, it was a stumbling block. It was foolishness. Then something happened. The Bible is telling us that the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, this might not sound like such a good thing at first hearing, but the Holy Spirit, brain and soul, washes us. To those in verse 24, those he calls, right? Those whom he's decided to break through it with it, it gets us spiritually inebriated with the power of God. It makes what is foolish and weak in the world and was at one time weak to us, Christ and him crucified and all of that, and the risen Lord, ascended Lord, that very thing, that very message becomes the power and strength of God in our lives. It overpowers, it overcomes our foolishness to not believe God and our inability and weakness to hear God. The spirit of God opens our heart and minds to the word, to the spirit of God's work, to the voice of God, so that we can supernaturally hear from God and see what the gospel is all about. The word of God is living as the spirit uses it. Like we saw in the scripture last week in Hebrews, it lives active, moving, ministry. It's the ministry of God's Holy Spirit lighting things up in our hearts as it becomes an active two-edged sword and work of God deep within our hearts and minds and souls. The way the Word of God's love message through it and God's love message through it begins to open us up for the first time in every time and age and refine us. Fine in us is like good wine, beer, and whiskey in a barrel. That process is called illumination. Which means like the apostle here, we have been illuminated. Those who know Christ spiritually communicated to and changed spiritually in our mind, washed by the Holy Spirit. Those who've gone through that process... You are the gospel Illuminati, which means you ain't much <laughs> in and of yourself. But the most incredible thing has happened in your heart through the word of God. Now you, in turn, go out in personal weakness, personal weakness, y'all standing in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to use what we say and do to proclaim, to share a, a powerful, life-changing, underestimated, hidden message of the gospel openly and honestly. Now you, with the Spirit of God in your heart, with the Word of God in your mouth and heart, you go and you share it with great conviction and great power. When you believe and share and proclaim your faith and you are listening to the word of God as it's being preached and read and taught or shared in some way, no, we, we pray, we hope, we rely on the spirit of God being there to use us who are weak in a market of no value for it to make it work in us and in those around us. Paul says, I come with much weakness, not with great speech. 
you know what I want to let y'all know? Because I'm just one dude up here. This is y'all's calling. Did you know that? I know it's difficult when the apostle's writing it at all. I ain't no apostle Paul, neither are you. I know. But when he says, I come with much with weakness and not which, with much, you know, fancy words to kind of explain it. I'm not an apologist, if you will. You people of God sitting here, you ordinary people, right? You don't think you know much about religion and all of that and all of that. The Bible is saying you don't have to be some religious expert for the word of God to go to work in your life through the reading of it, through the proclaiming of it, through the sharing of it together. What goes on in Bible study, like this morning when I walked in that Bible study room and men were sitting around a table reading the Bible, going into the scripture, something supernatural was happening, and it didn't happen because somebody had a PhD. You don't need a PhD in, in Bible. Now, don't get me wrong, study does help, right? I went to school for four years to help, to get some stuff out to help y'all, right? But at the same time, the power that resides in everything any pastor, Billy Graham included, ever did, that same spirit is at work in you. People ask me sometimes, are you nervous up there, Pastor Brown? Yeah. Because I know I don't control this thing. I've given up and leave behind what may be made me acceptable and great and smart in the world, and the Spirit must do it. And I'm excitedly nervous every week. You know why? Because we're sharing the message of God with people, the gospel. And guess what? I am expecting it to do some incredible things in your lives. I come with great expectation and great hope. That's what gets me up here. Not because, you know, I, I love to be seen. I love to be the center of attention. I love to perform. Those are all worldly things, and I hope they all disappear. But what I want to appear before you and what I hope to give you and what does drive me every morning beside my cafe Americano with three shots of espresso is this. I do think it's like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings up in here. Something is going to happen and something is happening when the word of God is opened up to God's people. I believe the Spirit's at work. I believe you will not leave the same that you came in. This is what I believe. And I'm, I'm telling you, you need to believe the same thing. Understand, every time, every week, every day, we deal in the ministry and sharing of the Word of God, we are dealing in what I would describe as the sacred arts of the gospel in the work of the Holy Spirit. So every time we share, like I said, men's Bible studies and women's Bible studies and community groups, something powerful is happening. This thing's spiritual. And it's powerful. And you, it, it, we, we ain't playing with it. It's not a joke. In fact, some, hey, let me, let me hear about that Jesus thing. You sure you want to hear about it? Because when I open this Bible and let you know, who knows, if the Holy Spirit come through, you're, you're going to be switched. I don't know how it's going to come out either. You might just start crying. You might break. I don't know. I've seen all kinds of things happen when word is preached. Maybe not in all, you know, some of our settings, but I've seen some times where God, people be preaching and something happened or a Bible study. Hallelujah, God, something happens. I don't know. Let me leave you with this in here. Let me reemphasize a few things. It's hidden to the world. And because we still live in the world, he says to the mature, we preach a message. And in, verse, and in chapter 3, he talks about some of y'all are still kind of natural acting. Even though you have Jesus, you're still kind of natural acting. Even though God's faithful to continue the supernatural things in your heart. But you haven't accepted all the supernatural pieces of it faithfully. It's easy to underestimate it, y'all. That Bible just sit on the shelf. That Bible app, it don't pop up at all. The Spirit uses the Word. It speaks to you. Some of y'all, I ain't going to the Bible said, I'm not going to community. What are they doing? They just doing one verse. One verse might change your life. You know, they talk about some countries where they don't have the Bible. They have like one page of the Bible. 
and whole churches and communities are changed from that one page? What? I also want you to recognize you are priest of God. We'll get into more of that um, when we talk about engaging the world. The word of God, you have it. Oh, I praise God for the printing press and all that kind of stuff and it being put in the vulgar language of, of English, not in Greek and Hebrew and all of that and Aramaic, right? You got it in the vulgar language, but it ain't vulgar. It's the word of God, right? Read it, teach it, share it. Married couples, open it up. Just say one thing. Nobody try to be the teacher, okay? Just, it don't always work. Let me teach you something. No, just read it together. Maybe get something easy, but, but God can change that. Read it to your kids. My kids get tired of hearing it sometimes. Dad, no, uh-uh, dad. Yes, you're going to hear it. Actually, they're not like that. We get in the car. Dad, you forgot to read the scripture. Usually it's on me, right? Because I'm driving fast listening to the news, Right? You ain't much, I know, but the Spirit is much, and the Word of God's powerfully used by the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this um, illumination that we receive from the Word of God because of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for our community group leaders who are trying to do it in their own strength trying to bring hope to people's lives, our Bible study leaders, our parents, our best friends to other people, to our spouses. We're trying, Lord. We're tired. We want results. We want change. We want folk to grow. We want folk to get better in our way. Lord, I pray that we would not be discouraged about the work of the Word of God in our lives. So again, Lord, I lift up our community group leaders. Sometimes it's just easier not to bring up the word. Just sit around and tell stories. Help us, Lord. Lord, I pray for our leaders again. Who, in whatever form that may come. Not just church leaders. Leaders in the community, in their households. The youth at schools. Lord, help us past that discouragement and weight of the world thinking it's crazy and even us thinking it's crazy to do it sometimes. Alleviate that great burden and that tiredness that comes from walking uphill again with something that just isn't marketable in the world. Strengthen us by your spirit. Lord, it's so difficult for some of us. We're wanting our faith to work for us. We believe another gospel, a gospel that isn't the message of the Bible. And Lord, it's not working for us. And we want to give up. Help us. Bring us back into the fold. Holy Spirit, do a supernatural work in those of us who are naturally sinful. For those who don't know you today and heard the foolishness of the preaching. We pray that that foolishness we become the wisdom of God to them by the power of the Holy Spirit. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.